Hello, you're listening to After the Homily with Father Daniel Scheidt. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Trout. How many times have you had questions after the homily? How many times have you wished that Father had spoken on this topic or maybe that topic and you thought, wouldn't it be great to just sit down with the priest and talk about those things of the day that just didn't quite make it in the homily? Well, if that's the case, then this is the podcast for you. We'll talk about topics ranging from literature to politics, from church teaching to church architecture. If it's relevant to Catholics, to their daily lives, and their journey to heaven, it's on our agenda. Whether you're on every Sunday or a Christmas and Easter or a I can't remember the last time I went to Mass Catholic, we're here and we're here for you. Father Daniel Scheid is the pastor of St. Vincent de Paul Catholic Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, in the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend. Well, Father Dan, welcome again to After the Homily. It's great to be here, Chris. It is great to be here. There's a lot going on in the church and in the world. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that we've spoken about before and probably will speak about maybe many more times, and that is the Synod on Synodality. That's even difficult to get out properly. It begins in October, and we know there's been much said about it uh, by those who are in the know and maybe not so much in the know, but we know there'll be a lot more said about it. And I think it's fair to say listeners, Catholic and otherwise, will have a lot of questions. And so I think we're going to dedicate some energy to trying to talk about that today. Maybe we should begin uh, with what exactly is this strange phrase, synod on synodality? Yes. So, so the word synod refers etymologically to being, being on a path together. And that, of course, begs the question of what, what's the starting point and, and what's the goal and, and who is who's guiding the accompaniment. Obviously, we know in faith that, that God is the starting point, more specifically, God in the flesh, the person of Jesus Christ. So he's, he's the origin, and he's also the goal in this pilgrimage of our life, this multi-generational pilgrimage through time that the church is engaged in. And we also know in faith that Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, is the one who accompanies us along the way. So in, in a certain sense, we can think of the, the primordial synod uh, revealed to us in the gospel as, as being the, the public ministry of Jesus who accompanies us on the way. But as, as he reveals himself after the resurrection, for example, at along the walk to Emmaus from Jerusalem. So the, the followers of Jesus are talking about what, what's happened, how worldly events have, have seemingly overwhelmed their faith, have, have tortured, killed, and led to the burial of their master. They've, they've heard news that he is not confined by that, that people are reporting that he's risen. And, and Jesus himself walks alongside these two disciples, receives everything that's on their heart. So he creates a space 
for them to share everything that they're troubled by, but then connects it to the promises that the Lord has made throughout the history of Revelation, and then finally reveals himself to be the, the fulfillment and in the breaking of, of the bread, in the, in the Eucharistic mystery. And he disappears at this supper at Emmaus precisely because he passes into the sacramental life of the church and the Holy Spirit makes this mystery new. I, I, I think it's really important for that to be the starting point rather than our own preoccupations about what a, a gathering of, of bishops um, and lay people should be uh, because ultimately Christ has already given us the form of this walking together. And it's not, it's not restrictive on the contrary, it's, it's liberating. And in the, the, I might, I might just add by way of conclusion here that um, the word synod as it's been used in the vocabulary of the faith in the life of the church throughout the centuries has referred to periodic gatherings of bishops. So some synods are regional where the shepherds of the church would gather to discuss and call upon the guidance of the Holy Spirit to help resolve different challenges in the life of the church. And then after the Second Vatican Council ended, Pope St. Paul VI instituted on, a, on an ongoing regular basis universal synods of bishops in which uh, not the entire episcopacy, that would be a, like a church council as we would understand it today, given that there are about 5,000 bishops in the church, a council would not be the easiest uh, thing to convoke. But using it that way, um, a council... universal synods would be, uh, where representatives of the Episcopal conferences would gather together to advise the successor of Peter, in this case, Pope Francis, about challenges uh, affecting the church and calling upon the Holy Spirit for guidance. So Pope Francis has done something new in this most recent synod on synodality. Up to now... Uh, in the modern period, there have been a number of lay observers uh, that have had some type of participatory role, but Pope Francis has introduced the innovation of those lay people voting in in making the the recommendations. So that that's a novelty. Mm. It's interesting. You could say, just thinking of definitional. In definitional ways, a, a council would be a very large synod, but it is an unusual word that we don't hear used that often. Correct. Correct. And again and again, Pope Francis and the various groups that he has set up to explain the synod on synodality keep returning to the fact that it, it fundamentally comes down to a path on which we're walking together. And the subheading of the Synod on Synodality is focused on communion, participation, and mission. So the first and the third term, communion, is, is a term that is very deep and rich in the language of the church 
including at the Second Vatican Council, and also mission in the conciliar documents and also in the, the post-council magisterium of John Paul II and Benedict, the, the missionary thrust of, of all of the baptized faithful is, is underlined. And here I, I would say another key for understanding the synod aright, which is to say in its, its deepest aspiration, would be the fulfillment of the Great Commission. So why does the church exist? Christ actually gives the mission statement right before he ascends to heaven. So in St. Matthew's gospel, he says to, to the, the apostles gathered there, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and know that I am with you always until the end of the age. And so, you know, each one of those commands is meant to be shaping what the communion of the church looks like, our participation in this communion, and the sharing of, of, of that participation in the communion in mission. So, go. So the, the impetus of Christ is, is outward directed rather than first being self-referential. So any type of self-referentiality that gets stuck in itself, we, we can know that that's not the movement of the Holy Spirit. The movement of the Holy Spirit is, is always deepening our, our interiority, our, our contemplative reflection, but but there's an ecstatic movement, a movement outward, go. And then the command, make disciples. That is to say, not proselytize, as Pope Francis warns against continually, but make disciples. That is to say, form friendships that, that are, are shaped by and lead to friendship with Jesus, risen from the dead in the power and peace of his Holy Spirit. But that friendship isn't just a kind of wandering around life together. It involves an immersion, um, the, the baptism by water and the Holy Spirit. So the word baptism means immerse. So this, this friendship is, is coming from and leading to an immersion in, into the inner life of God, the, the Holy Communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But, but notice Christ even goes farther there. And know that I am with you always. So this, this immersion into the love of God isn't meant for us to simply, I don't know, dissolve in some ocean of being, you know, like the, the, the story told in Hinduism of the little salt doll that goes out to measure the ocean and then dissolves. Rather, our distinctiveness as human beings is, is not only preserved, but, but enlivened. So we become more ourselves. And so know that I am with you always in everything, in every circumstance until the end of the age. So that, that accompaniment 
uh, of which Pope Francis speaks continually, that accompaniment is first the Lord's accompaniment of us before it, it's our accompaniment of other people. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's always going to involve going out of ourselves in, into the great, the great frontier to meet the new people, to share with them our joy, or as the, the council document, Gaudium et Spes, puts it, to share the, the joys and hopes, the anguish and grief of the modern world, precisely so that Christ, the light of the nations, another council document, Lumen Gentium, so that Christ, the light of the nations, can be revealed and enjoyed till the end of the age and beyond. So the next word, synodality, another strange word. What's its meaning and context here? So here's also where Pope Francis has a certain aspiration, which, you know, some people critique as being unclear, but I think it actually gets to that second term that I seemingly skipped over, participation. So if the three subheadings for the Synod are communion, participation, and mission, it's that it's that concept of participation, I think, that the word synodality tries to capture. Pope Francis has an aspiration that more and more people can participate in more and more intimate, expansive ways in the life of the church. Now, I have to say, right away, this can be politicized, misunderstood, both within and outside of the church, including on the part of of anyone. But we have to be very contemplatively grounded in the fact that that participation is not fundamentally political agitation for some type of forced structural change. Mm. Participation is, is the sharing of a friendship which comes from the Lord, is shaped by the Lord, is fulfilled in the Lord. And in that respect, the organic structure of the church, as it, as it develops over time, um, is strictly speaking not changing. So we, we can't speak here of somehow changing beyond the, the organic structure that Christ himself has given to the church. I'll just give one simple example. The church is intrinsically hierarchical, and that, that's a, a misunderstood word today. People think of it as kind of an asymmetrical power structure. Patriarchal. Yeah, and the more we get rid of hierarchy, the word means sacred order, and then one, one dimension of hierarchy is patriarchy, mm. where the authoritative expression of spiritual fatherhood is given and received. You know, if we just get rid of that, if we just have a non-hierarchical church, then, then we'll we'll really be getting into the you know the age of the Holy Spirit. That that is a dead end. Uh, show me a non-hierarchically arranged frog, and I will show you a dead frog. <laughs> Every single living thing is hierarchically arranged. That is to say, there is an order 
in which the different parts function differently in view of the thriving of the whole. So as a more specific example, some people going into the synod are going in with the intention of thinking that the church's teaching on the ordination of of bishops, of priests, of deacons, that that the traditional restricting of that to men is something that can be changed. To cut to the chase, it can't. <laughs> well, St. So, John Paul made that very clear, didn't That's he? right. In Ordinatio Sacerdotalis, simply repeating the perennial tradition of the church, he said the Catholic church has no authority whatsoever to confer priestly ordination uh, on women. And then this is to be definitively held by the faithful. So those people who would be advocating for that would be advocating for a theological impossibility and would not be serving the authentic communion of the church, uh, authentic participation in the church and the authentic mission of the church. So some of what the synod of, on synodality is, is, is going to be addressing would be these, these neuralgic points of, of conflict. And it, it is going to involve the discernment of the shepherds of the church and especially um, the discernment of the successor of Peter uh, about how to remain faithful to the apostolic tradition in a way in which people are, are helped to understand the, the participation, uh, the sharing of their gifts in the life of, of the church. But, but here enters one of the challenges, isn't it? And we've spoken about this before, the German Senate. Correct. Uh, and all that's going on, there'll be representatives there advocating the position you mentioned, among many others exactly. that they've published. And, and so how do you have a meeting of sort of so-called policymakers, you might say, w- without talking about these difficult things and to even allow something to be spoken about if it's impossible is suggesting that it's not an impossibility. Right. It's very confusing very fast. Yes. So every family has to have discussions, <laughs> including very difficult ones, uh, including ones about first principles, uh, mm. about what what governs the life of, of the family. And there can come moments in a family in which certain members decide to go their own way. Mm. So there's a reason Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son. He takes his portion of the inheritance and, and goes his own way. And aspects of the, the German so-called synodal way uh, have attempted to do just that. Mm. And they're going to need to be admonished yet again, corrected. And in the absence of that, the, you know, the, the shepherds of the church in particular, Pope Francis in his role of confirming the unity of, of the brethren is, is actually going to have to offer some definitive correction. Mm. I mean, it, it's no secret that we're living in a time of de facto schism. So certain portions of the church have made the decision to do certain things which are contrary to the, the teaching of the church regarding faith and morals. And so the, 
the the question of of how how best to exhort the brethren who separate themselves to return to the the communion of of the Catholic faith of the ages that that prudential decision uh, or set of decisions is is going to play out in in the coming years and decades it's it's becoming more and more unavoidable we've gone too far haven't we with especially with the german the german yes, work clearly and uh, for example cardinal hollerich of luxembourg who is the relator general of the synod on synodality has come out publicly and and stated that the the church's perennial teaching against homosexual activity is simply wrong and that departure from authentic Catholic teaching yeah, is also cardinal, nonetheless. Yeah. Yes, is also going to need to be corrected by Pope Francis. The form in which he chooses to do that, we can pray that he has the wisdom and the courage to find the the best form to offer that corrective. But again, it would be a theological impossibility for homosexual activity to be pronounced uh, good. And certain of the German bishops have already attempted blessing of same-sex unions. That too is a departure from Catholic teaching, including Catholic teaching that Pope Francis himself has endorsed in the most recent document from uh, what was then called the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, now the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith. But before we get too mired in conflict, I'd, I'd actually propose um, a whole dimension uh, of our discernment that is often presupposed, but but just rarely ever systematically thought through. And that that's the question of how our disembodied communication, in recent years, you can say, especially with the, the internet, cell phones, et cetera, but, but take it far further back, take it you know, television, the, 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 whole, the whole modern phenomenon of seeing images of being together, hearing voices of being together, disseminating texts that that promise a certain being together but actually don't fully communicate real embodied communion now i realize from the beginning of the church for example saint paul saint peter saint james are are sending letters to the different communities and and in so many words are saying that those letters carry not a disembodied authority but but in a sense, the, the very heart of the one sending it. So, so that's, that's always been with us. The, the dramatic phenomenon that, that we're living today is that the bishops of the church, the, the shepherds that Christ has given us, are facing a communication tsunami where just the sheer amount of, of information and disinformation, the sheer amount of just voices 
talking from all these different starting points and all these different goals and all these different agendas and and the sheer number of of people claiming this credential that mark of of credibility uh to speak uh you know in the in the name of Christ or in the power of the holy spirit uh it it is produced a cacophony it, it's produced babble and and the net result has been confusion so i i i apologize that that would seem to be a very abstract uh digression from the business at hand of of the synod now i'm going to get very practical it is very important that each member of the faithful actually listen to what the successor of Peter says, not primarily in the airline interview, which can go all over the place and the, the, the prudential <laughs> uh, discipline that needs to govern uh, what is said in a reporter's microphone. We, we can come back to that. But for example, throughout October, Pope Francis, I'm assuming in his Sunday Angelus address, will be speaking directly, not just to the faithful in St. Peter's Square, but to the faithful around the world, people of goodwill, about what's going on. And he explicitly wishes this synod to take place in the context of prayer and to be shaped by the Holy Spirit in prayer, which means that, that Francis theologically cannot simply have his planned outcome, if Pope Francis is truly docile to the Holy Spirit, he will be docile to the Holy Spirit of the risen Christ, the only begotten Son of our Heavenly Father, guiding the church. Now, Pope Francis has made the decision that the individual interventions of the 400-some delegates, of whom Bishop Rhodes is one, will not be shared directly he doesn't want that to become what he calls gossip. Mm -hmm. So these discussions will be summarized. We'll see how that goes. But for example, for the faithful people of goodwill to follow the coverage on EWTN, the Eternal Word Television Network, it's important to attend to what's going on and, and also to receive helpful commentary from Catholic commentators of, of goodwill and it's important also not to rely on simply one source for the, the whole picture. So I'm assuming that for many people who want to watch the Synod, EWTN will be the, the venue for the, the English-speaking commentary. But, but various other Catholic outlets, for example, National Catholic Register, will be you know, giving its own its own coverage. There'll be other Catholic journals. I'm thinking of the conservative journal uh, First Things, thinking of Catholic World Report, which since the papacy of St. John Paul II and, and Pope Benedict has been giving faithful coverage. There will obviously be perspectives given by sources that would be outside of traditional Catholic teaching, like National Catholic Reporter, Commonweal, they'd have certain aspects that might on occasion intersect with authentic Catholic teaching. So it's it's important to to get 
a variety of perspectives, but it's all with the goal of understanding what the person of Jesus Christ is is doing here. And, and it's going to be greater than what any one commentator gives. My final point in, in attending to the Synod is to be wary of any Catholic or would-be Catholic commentator who presents him or herself as the the definitive oracle of of the synod this this causes trouble in the early church there was a an ecclesiastical writer by the name of tertullian who aspired to be more catholic than the bishop of rome at the time and and became so intransigent in his own formulations and defenses of things that he wound up placing himself outside of visible communion with the church's shepherds. So our current media apparatus, our current media landscape, lends itself to producing a proliferation of little Tertullians. And so if at the end of, of listening to any given Catholic commentator, if, if one's heart is, is just filled with darkness and you know tightness and the world is coming to an end and we we can't trust the church's shepherds and we can't trust Christ's promises and I'm just going to do my own thing we we can know that that the lord doesn't want us to go down that path even in the old testament or the the new testament Christ in offering his correctives to Peter and Paul in continuing offering correctives to Peter, that that's part of life in the big family. And, you know, Pope Francis calls for parhesia, for a very frank, honest talk. And that's part of the service that we owe the Holy Father to, to contribute to an understanding that is, that is greater than, you know, the, the 400 some delegates greater than you know, any given collection of, of believers at any given time. But I know that I'm guilty of this, but when I hear you say that, I'm thinking of there's so much written and said about what usually the Holy Father said, as opposed to what the Holy Father actually said. Right. And it's always, it's always lost in, in bias and in agenda and interpretation. And that, that creates a challenge and it seems to be fair to say with respect, this successor of Peter has a different communication style than some of his predecessors. Exactly. Um, and so in the past, popes were generally much more circumspect when it came to articulating the church's faith, offering warnings uh, about deviations from that faith. And so, you know, my point about the new media landscape is when a reporter sticks a microphone in front of Pope Francis and asks a question that a reporter would ask and the Pope gives an extemporaneous reply, it's, it's often parsed as if it were the latest papal encyclical. <laughs> and some of what Pope Francis says off the cuff is just not, not easily comprehensible mm. and yeah, in, in really in need of of further clarification on the spot that that doesn't 
come right away. I'll just and, give and one that's example. That's a style. That's a temperament style. Exactly. Personality. Exactly. So with regularity, Pope Francis speaks about what he calls in Italian indietrismo. Indietro in Italian means backward or behind. And so we could translate in, that in English as backwardness. So the wanting to go back to some moment in the in the glorious past of the church. And oftentimes people think that, you know, what's being criticized is the 1950s. And one can assume given Pope Francis's uh, harsh restrictions of uh, the ancient uh, form of, of the Latin rite, uh, so-called traditional mass, that that's, that's what he's after. But, but the backward looking could just as, as easily refer in a, in, in a critique to 1975. So there are some in the church who really, really want us to return to the immediate post-conciliar period where all sorts of things seemed possible and, and it was a free-for-all. And there are people of Pope Francis's generation who still live as if it's 1975. And a mark of that is a refusal to accept the magisterium of John Paul II and Benedict XVI insofar as it has sought to bring clarity and deepening to certain disputed questions in the post-conciliar period. So whenever there's an attempt to skip over for example, 35 years of magisterial teaching and pretend that, you know, it's a new time. God is doing a new thing. You can know from the get-go um, that, that that's a dead end. That's a non-starter. So just as an example, we've seen in recent decades that the synodal approach of the Church of England, for example, these coming together of Anglican bishops and laity and having a kind of parliamentary vote is leading to the extinction of the Church of England, not just the changing of it, just the disappearance of it. We've seen in Methodism, which is intrinsically synodal. So Methodism has some concept of, of bishops, of, of overseers, but it but it, it is very much governed by the sharing of, you know, groups of, of, consensus of people. Yeah, yeah, consensus. And, and that's leading to the, the disintegration of, of Methodism. And it would seem that communities that follow a certain synodal path are just not bearing good fruit and fruit that lasts. So the Orthodox understanding of, of synodality refers to the work of bishops. It refers to the, the coming together of bishops to resolve as shepherds of the church, the, the challenges at that level. Now it's the responsible, responsibility of every shepherd to listen to his people. But Pope Francis's attempt at a hybrid, we're going to have to discern really as, as the whole people of God, uh, very carefully what what fruits come of that i would say those who would like the changing of catholic 
doctrine, uh, Catholic moral teaching. And just to make that very specific, uh, if this leads to attempts to rewrite passages of the catechism, for example, as has been proposed for the, the condemnation of homosexual activity, to simply write that out of the catechism and claim that that is somehow some development of the Holy Spirit, that's just wrongheaded. And obscuring the warnings that the Lord has given through his shepherds down through the centuries, obscuring those warnings and pretending that those warnings are no longer necessary or that they've actually somehow flipped is a danger to souls. Uh, both the, the fulfillment of, of souls in the deepest goods of this life, but also the eternal salvation of souls. And so really the whole people of God is has a responsibility to make sure that what's articulated in the Catechism of the Catholic Church as a sure affirmation of authentic Catholic teaching, that that's continued rather than undermined. So Chris, I realize that this is this has been a lot. Uh, and <laughs> well, there's a I, lot to talk about, isn't it's there? It's true. And everything is really preparatory for our, our thinking, our praying, that the work of the risen Lord in the power of his Holy Spirit guiding the, the Synod in October will, will deepen our, our love of our communion together of our participation in the life of the church for the sake of the world and, and our mission to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and knowing that Christ is with us always till the end of the age. Knowing that indeed. Well, listeners, uh, we'll be back with probably many other episodes as things develop uh, in the Senate and Father Dan, we look forward to having you explain those in a way that only you can. Look forward to it, Chris. Well, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of After the Homily as much as we've enjoyed bringing it to you. I hope you'll plan to join us regularly for future episodes. As I mentioned, we plan to bring several episodes about all things Synod, what's being said and what's being said about what's being said. So again, I hope you'll plan to join us and I hope you'll tell others about our podcast. Are there topics you'd like to hear about from Father Dan? Do you have a question that you'd like him to answer? We'd love to hear from you if you do. You can email us at church at saintv.org. And you can type after the homily in the subject line, or you can message me directly at 260-450-8878. And please start the message with after the homily. You can find this and all of our episodes on the St. Vincent de Paul Parish website. Again, that's saintv.org. You can also find us at your favorite podcast platform. And a very special thanks to our friends at Spoke Street Media for producing this podcast. Without them, we simply could not do this. You can enjoy an endless variety of amazing Catholic content by visiting SpokeStreet.com. I'm Dr. Chris Stroud, and thanks again for listening to After the Homily with Father Daniel Scheidt.
This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.